This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You don't have to break his leg to get a red card. Yeah. If you try to break somebody's leg, it's a red card. It's a fucking disgusting tackle. Get off the pitch and don't speak to your children for a week. <laughs> Somebody who makes a tackle like that is an absolute coward. Like he's playing football. Like Grealish isn't ready to fight you. Yeah. He's trying to control football on a pitch, and you're just coming in trying to break his leg, and you think you're class and hard because of it. Hi guys, Jack Grealish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And that shocked the I'm starting to think that there's something in this Dean Smith calmness. You know, maybe maybe my knee-jerk reactionary idiocy isn't the way to go. Dean Smith loses a match and he's calm. Dean Smith wins a match and he's calm. Dean Smith draws a game nil-nil that they should hammer at him, 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, and he's calm. Maybe maybe I've got it wrong, Liam. Maybe maybe this podcast has got it wrong. Now, I say this off the back of the most dominant performance that I've seen Aston Villa play. It was a 3-0. Like, you know, they deserve 3-0 at least, but it was one of those wins that reminded me of, say, United back in the day playing West Brom back in the day and just you know completely dominating them. West Brom were never going to score. United were always going to get enough goals to comfortably win. Um, that's what it was like. And, like, that's great. I suppose Dean Smith knew this all along, but like I say, I have this moment of hindsight and this moment of self-reflection off the back of a 3-0 win. Uh, I don't presume it'll come against Crystal Palace if we don't beat them <laughs> on, on Stevens Day, but um, it's good. Dean Smith knows what he's doing is the point I'm making. Yeah, Dean Smith knows what he's doing and Mika Richards doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not happy that you're lumping the podcast in there. It's very definitely one half of the podcast that was worried about Dean Smith being canned. As if you want your manager being as erratic as you. I said I wanted some passion from him. <laughs> he's got passion. He fucking couldn't care more about the club. He just, you know, doesn't have to be a knee-jerk moron like some of us. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, speaking of, I'm, I'm happy you brought up the Mika Richards thing because it reminded me of a very special Leeds back and forward that we had <laughs> the podcast. And it's safe to say, Liam Doherty, you have had the last laugh. We can call it after 12 games of the season. You have won this back and forward with Leeds. Yeah, I mean, since I've said that, I think Leeds have played eight times. So Leeds spanked Aston Villa. I told the world that don't worry about it. Leeds are going to be spanked plenty of times this season. Next two games, they lost 4-1. Then they got spanked 3-1 by Chelsea in the most one-sided 3-1 victory. And then yesterday's result just confirmed how correct I really was. So this is the thing, right? Like, and I, Look, there, there's actually there's a lot of praise right, for Leeds, so much so that people are getting annoyed now at the praise of Leeds. And I think they're being a bit unfair. You know, people are sort of out to see them lose now because they don't like the over-the-top praise of them. Like, it, it is true, like, you know, every team would, like, not every team, but I wouldn't want Aston Villa playing that way, right? But, but the, there's a fondness in the way that they're playing. Um, like, yeah, it's it's great to watch. I do look forward to the Leeds games, but and like obviously Marcelo Bielsa is a great football man. Like, you know, and he, he's a, he seems like a nice fellow who's just obsessed with football. And he's got he took over a team that was doing so badly and and just rotten in the championship, and he just rejuvenated them, got them whole up to the Premier League, and they're 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 lighting up the Premier League sometimes, but. Before that game yesterday, I knew United were going to beat them well because exactly of what we said after the Villa match. We said, surely you should just sit in tight against Leeds and counter-attack them. And fucking hell, nobody loves that more than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And i just thinking, like, how, how one-dimensional are Leeds? So we all laughed and we all, we actually all like loved Marcelo Bielsa like going through his um, breakdown of Derby and all these other teams that he was doing all these analysis on. And I'm like, what a waste of time. What a waste of time and money because obviously he doesn't care. He's not looking at how the other teams are playing. They're just going out and playing the same way. Yeah, and that, that is that really makes it such a low point of the Aston Villa season because we said this beforehand that Villa have to sit in. It's the only way to play against that Leeds team. And if you do that, because Leeds don't have the players to be as successful playing that way, they will get beaten if you just sit in because they can't break you down. They can't do anything else. It's all about Marcelo Bielsa's um, tactics. So if you just nullify those tactics, the one game plan that he has, you will beat them. But like it, it comes back to, it comes back to the journalistic fetish of Pep Guardiola. If, if Pep Guardiola had never talked about Marcelo Bielsa before, make no mistake about it, people would like Marcelo Bielsa, but they wouldn't yeah. be fascinated with him. The first ten games of the season, you, you couldn't get away from him. Like they were obsessed with him. It was, yeah. it was pathetic. It was the, it's the same reason, and I've mentioned this before, it's the same reason why there was so much eagerness and desperation even for Mikel Arteta to do well at Arsenal. And it's now only starting to settle into people's heads that Arsenal are just shit. <laughs> and that Mar- Mikel Arteta isn't, isn't the messiah that they all desperately wanted him to be. As the weeks go by it becomes more and more clear that that 3-0 victory for Villa wasn't that good a result down in the Emirates. But there is something nice in knowing that Villa are just three goals better than Arsenal. And <laughs> we went down there, did the job and came home again. Yeah, it was um, very similar to the West Brom game. It was, you know, Villa, have, <laughs> Villa are just three goals better than that shitbag of a team. With a disallowed goal as well, which was very harsh. It was the one that Barkley was offside when McGinn roofed it. Actually, speaking of which, another one there... Uh, last night against West Brom. So Watkins, for the second time, has had a goal disallowed, which is always just 
more annoying when it's your striker and you want them to score goals. And he scored two good goals. So he got that one against West Ham, the late equaliser. And he got this one against West Ham. Just coming in the right position at the end of a nice cross and putting it away. Uh, if, uh, I say like Villa, Villa have been on the wrong side of a few decisions. The Brighton penalty as well that, that was overturned by VAR, which was bizarre. But they probably would have missed that as, as history has shown us since. Um, like, yeah, like, but like the, the Watkins thing, I was thinking about like VAR last night in a sense of it's actually bad for relationships as well. So <laughs> I've spoken before about just what a what a bad partner I am. You know, during Villa matches or during Villa days, and you know it was one nil for ages yesterday, and I just kept thinking this is just this is just written all over like a shitty goal at the end from West Brom or about seventy nine minutes in. You know, Villa dominating the match under no pressure, no chances conceded, and it's just going to happen. We've missed too many chances. Then they finally got the second goal, and like their relief that waxed over me. But I didn't even celebrate first because I was like, right, let's just see, let's just see, like you know what's happening. And it went on for a long time. Then I saw a replay and thought, oh yeah, that looks all right actually. Then my poor girlfriend comes running in, and she's delighted because there's <laughs> there's a, there's a lighter air in the living room, and then like of course she's trying to like hug me or talk to me and then I'm just like watching the TV and it's like what what the fuck, <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> and then she's gone and yet again Ollie Watkins' arm is offside he scored six this season I think only in three games I don't know can we count can we just tell him indoors that he scored eight <laughs> no I think what we need to do is is teach Ollie Watkins to run without using his arms because it's, it's so <laughs> fucking annoying that that's how he's getting caught offside. I mean, I understand that that's the rule they've gone with and you have to draw an arbitrary line somewhere and that part of his body can score and that's what they've gone with. But it's just such a silly rule. Like that, Ollie Watkins' arm being ahead of the last defender doesn't give him an advantage. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. It's it's a nonsense rule. So it's, it's really frustrating. He's, he's never going to be able to fix that. It's not a problem that he's created. I don't know, maybe he should just start wearing sleeveless jerseys or something, like the Cameron team <laughs> in the 2002 World Cup. Do you know, like, one of those, did you ever hear that trick when you're driving down the road, and is it a speed camera, and you can turn your engine off as you're driving, and then apparently the speed, it'll, it'll cause a, a malfunction in the speed camera that's trying to pick up your speed? Might you turn cause your a malfunction on. in how you're driving as well. <laughs> but I'm wondering, is there some sort of... Yeah, is there some sort of material that Ollie Watkins can wear that will fuck up the VAR thing? Like it, it should be their it should be their feet. Like it, it should be looking at their feet because yeah, like that's the advantage. If you're if you're running positions ahead of the defender, then that's that's the advantage. Never mind about your scoring body or whatever. Like if if you're starting your running position from behind the defender's running position, then that yeah. that should be enough. Yeah, exactly. And and those decisions are getting called so far away from goal as well. Like it, it's just it does it's. It's really galling to see goals being disallowed for that. And that that's part of the reason why the narrative around VAR is so negative. It's because it's just like, oh, like who cares if his sleeve is offside? It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Just to go back to the thing that you, you were panicking about Villa whenever they were 1-0 up. I wasn't remotely panicked. I was just I just trusted in Dean Smith. And isn't it so great that Aston Villa are now a team who go 1-0 up against West Brom and instead of being like you and just waiting for the equaliser to come in, Villa just continue to try to score the second goal because they know they are so much better than West Brom. Let's just keep playing football. We'll score another goal and that'll be the game one. What a way to go out and control the game. If that was a Steve Bruce Aston Villa side, 1-0 up. You just don't make any mistakes. The mistake is fucking not trying to score again. 
And they yeah. point to managers who don't realize that. Luckily, we've got Dean Smith. Just make that comparison, actually. Like, if Steve Bruce is in charge there, even though you're playing West Brom, even though you're playing Sam Allardyce, West Brom would now be on top for the rest of that game because Villa won the like Villa would be sitting in, sitting deep, and just trying to see it out. And inevitably, that never worked <laughs> ever under Steve Bruce. Villa usually went ahead because they had better teams in the championship. Um, but anyway, we're not going. I'm not going down the, the Steve Bruce, <laughs> the Steve Bruce tunnel. Um, Paul Ince, what's what's his problem with Aston Villa? So he he was apoplectic actually afterwards. I don't know if anybody saw this um, this coverage afterwards. I think it was in America. And uh, he was saying that Jake Livermore shouldn't have been sent off, and he actually said it should it should have been a yellow card. So then I'm thinking, right, hang on. He said he said he got the ball. He shouldn't have been sent off. It should be a yellow card. And it was like either he got the ball, or like you know, obviously he could still get a red card if he got the ball. But either either you think nothing's happened or it's a red card. There's no in between there, and that's what thankfully Martin Atkinson realized when he looked at it. Like he's just jumped over the top of the ball two feet off the ground out of control and tries to do Jack Grealish and it's just lucky that he didn't do it like in what world would that be a yellow card uh, and then he also said the reason I'm asking what's his problem with Aston Villa he also went on to say um that the Courtney Howes one was a red card and you know the Jack Livermore one wasn't like I could see I could see the argument for the Howes one I could I don't think it was it was obviously a a mistake his, his leg got caught underneath somebody as he's trying to poke the ball away Dermot Gallagher did agree, but I think he was just bullied by Paul Ince and said that he thought it was a red card. Um, but the fact that Ince is looking at the Livermore one and saying that's not a red card, and then he looks at the Howes one where somebody like just very gently and accidentally stamps on someone, it's it's just it's ridiculous that he can see someone so vicious and just sort of turn a blind eye to it. No, there, there is a big in-between there. It's between Paul Ince's ears. There's a massive <laughs> vacuum of space. <laughs> Uh, the Jake Livermore red card is absolute nailed on red card. You couldn't you couldn't see a more obvious red card, and it's made all the more obvious because it was Jack Grealish that had the ball. So you yep. can be very fucking certain that Jake Livermore is trying to hurt Jack Grealish because players just get their back up whenever he's got the ball as well. Everybody's more aggressive whenever Grealish has the ball. His foot is about a foot off the ground. It's it's an absolutely disgusting tackle, and luckily. Jack Grealish has the wherewithal to slightly move his leg back so that it is just, you know, it isn't going through his leg or he doesn't put his leg down. The Courtney House one, Courtney House is, you're right, he's just poking the ball and his foot is going down naturally to the ground after that poke. And unfortunately, the West Brom player's leg was underneath that. So it's nowhere, it's not even, Courtney House isn't even tackling him. I think uh, we mentioned Jake Livermore in one of the first episodes of the podcast. It was just a drive-by shooting of him, <laughs> but it was around the time that uh, Grealish wasn't playing for England. Can you can you imagine that? Like, you know, there was a time this season where Grealish wasn't playing for England. Absolutely insane. But um, and I I I was watching a West Brom game in the background and I saw Livermore and I was like, that's the boy who has seven caps for England. And I think at the time I called him a nothing, pointless player and. Looking at him there, it's like 31 years of age. This is what has become of him. Just like trying to do Jack Grealish for, for no reason other than Jack Grealish is a good player. Like what, what a sad state that your life must get into. It's like that, that's what you're trying to do with a game of football. And thankfully, I was sort of waiting for, I don't know why, but I was just sort of waiting for Sam to come out and say it was outrageous or whatever. But Sam actually came down hard on Livermore afterwards. He said, 
he said, I won't accept another sending off no matter what. We have to stop that. And he said, it's the first thing you ask the players to do. Whatever you do, you don't get set, sent off. I'm upset. Uh, I couldn't be anything less. Um, and he did sort of hint that he might lose the captaincy and stuff because of it as well. Just because he got sent off. But it was because he did something so stupid. But um, well done, Jake Livermore. This is what your life has become. Although he's still earning a lot more than me. So I suppose he's happy enough. <laughs> I actually think the most frustrating, obviously the tackle's disgusting, so that was really frustrating, but it was the reaction of the players on the pitch. They all they were all acting like they felt sorry for him. Yeah. You know, like, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe you've been caught out by VAR as well. You know, <laughs> you poor bastard. You're getting sent off for that. And they're all standing around looking at it, shaking their heads if they can't believe it. Yeah. You don't have to break his leg to get a red card. Yeah. If you try to break somebody's leg, it's a red card. It was a fucking disgusting tackle. Get off the pitch and don't speak to your children for a week. <laughs> and there was even like you know, the fact that he even did that and then went over as Jack Grealish is on the ground, you know, and starts like saying so. It was it was actually Jake Livermore who got sent off as well against Everton, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And he started acting a big man and she- Seamus Coleman put him on his place. You know, now like, that's exactly all Seamus Coleman said to him, like, you know, fucking big man, and he's done a goal accent, like. That's like that's all he's trying to do. He's just a posture, and like somebody who makes a tackle like that is an absolute coward. Like he's playing football. Like Greenish isn't ready to fight you. Yeah. He's trying to control football on a pitch, and you're just coming in trying to break his leg, and you think you're class and hard because of it. Yeah. What a loser! Like he might as well walk up behind somebody in the street and punch them in the back of the head. Yeah. And then say you and run away and say you won the fight. Like you know, <laughs> no, there's nothing hard about it. There's some lad playing football and there's some lad having a kickboxing match. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do WhatsApp winches on that note. We're going to start with the thoughts of the Villa podcast. Maybe it was just because I really didn't want to fucking lose to Leeds United. The lifting up of Patrick Bamford with one hand, I did enjoy that because Patrick Bamford is an unlikable character and he's probably being a bit of a twat to Tyrone Mings all game. He's nothing like that either, is he? He's a real. He's, like if you. He's an uh, unlikable character. Like one of he's put on a foot. Patrick Bamford can't skin you. It's, it's not. It's not. He's not that type of player. It's not in his game. Somebody put on a foot there. I felt all the pain. I imagine I probably sound as much of a, a biased, one-eyed idiot. Block the fucking shot. It was a fucking disaster. I did quite enjoy the hopelessness of their their grief with it, though, as well. Because they're like, not that it fucking mattered anyway. Sure, we were beaten anyway. Not that it fucking mattered anyway. Villa was shite. Like, there's, there's nothing but space. Leeds are going to be spanked a few times this season. Make no mistake about that. I mean... They're, they're really well coached, they're really aggressive, they're really adventurous, but the players are shit. <laughs> the, the key line is that we're, we're well coached um, and very aggressive, but our players are shit. They're not either. They're not shit. I mean, that was great. That did have everything. Only downside, those brummy accents, though. <laughs> really go through you, don't they? What's up, winges? So I'm going to start off here, Liam. What are you doing? Oh, what a goal! <laughs> I think that was 
one of the most delicious goals I've ever seen. It was so nice. But the speed with which he takes the shot is just delightful. It's so it's it's so nice. And you can just like even Sam Johnson's just sitting there on his honkers and he's just like, ugh. Well like, well done. It's clear. Yeah, I I couldn't understand what happened. Like what the reason I was like, what are you doing? Like I thought it was um I thought he was just like one of those passes that I was complaining about Shirori doing the last day, you know, where nobody else is aware of what's happening. <laughs> It just looked like he rolled it forward. I thought, let's see what happens here. And it just rolled the whole way into the bottom corner. Oh, and then the more I watched it, like the, the replay, the way he just caressed his foot around it, it was like, fucking hell. And like, yeah, the reason Johnson's on his honkers is because he's just shot at a, oh, it's, it's just a step before he was expecting to be set to take a shot. It was absolutely gorgeous. Oh, it was, it was insane. And I told you last week, Con, and I'm not ready to give up on Bertrand Trory. He showed me right. That is ex- he's exactly the type of player I hope they would be. He's just just a lovely touch of class. Do you know what the most interesting thing about Bertrand Trory is? He somehow, somehow manages to look completely calm and nonchalant at the same time as looking insanely erratic. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, in fairness to him, the the times he looks most calm is when he's coming out from the back. And that's actually, it's, it's worked out so far. Like, you know, he always ends up just dribbling out away from people. And it's like, ah, Great, we've got the ball again, and we're way up the pitch. Ah, oh, he's just, uh, he's, he's, I, I've got, I've got high hopes for him. There's no way John Terry would make a bad decision, Connor. <laughs> but this, this is, um, this is something that I, I was thinking about again when I was talking about the top of the show about Dean Smith being calm. <laughs> I'm watching Bertrand Sorori, and it's like, Jesus, Connor, like maybe give people, you know, more than seven games or whatever he's at. <laughs> to settle into a new country and a new team and a new league and do you know like hey he does have something and it, it might always be erratic but in that game he still looked a little bit erratic but for the most part it was brilliant like do you know it all added up to something good generally through it he does definitely have something do you know what he doesn't have though what a right foot <laughs> like, we we talked about his refusal to use his right foot last week and christ almighty <laughs> On the 50th minute, we saw the most brilliant example of that, where he goes to take a swing at it with his right foot, connects to the ball with his baby toe, and it goes out behind him nearly. And he's fucking horizontal before he hits the ground. He fucking has so fucking fucking... I think uh, the, the worst thing for him is I think VAR looked at that again for a <laughs> Oh no, he's just an idiot. <laughs> Imagine them all calling him in, like, Mike, get in here, look at this. <laughs> yeah, but I'd actually say, because there was a stage where it was so bad and so um, clumsy looking, that I was like, surely he was fine. <laughs> so, somebody has blocked his foot from a, a normal swing. <laughs> you know? uh, but no, he just doesn't have a right foot. So good, so enjoyable. Lovely little bit of comedy sprinkled in on top of a, an efficient, per- perfect performance. Mm, but that one was uh that, that stage was one nil, so I wasn't as enamored <laughs> with that. Oh, you actually I meant to, to say this earlier on. You talked about yeah, the, the comparison with Dean Smith and Steve Bruce and you know, the team just going out and continually trying to score. Jack Grealish when it was three nil in injury time, Tyrone Mings trying to get everybody up the pitch so he can kick a free kick up the pitch, and then Grealish just came and took it quickly. Got it back, ran up the pitch, set up a shot for Douglas Louise. <laughs> it's like fucking, this guy is unreal. Like you know, it's just like that. That sort of summed up Grealish and this Villa team under Dean Smith. They just smelled blood. It was three 0 West Brom had finished. 
Like we don't need to run the clock down here. Let's just get the ball moving, and I'll I'll take it up the pitch. Uh, yeah, and even the way Villa set up with Jack Reed just playing in the middle and playing two wide men, with the understanding that they were going to be playing against Sam Allardyce, so they needed to get as much space on the pitch as possible, make it as wide yeah. as possible, just to play Jack Reed in midfield. So you do whatever you want because West Brom aren't going to be offering anything anyway. It was just it was just a beautiful beautiful bit of impetus given to the team from the very start. Let's see if you can guess what this one is. You absolute fucking meatball. Matt Target in the 60th minute, losing the ball at the edge of the West Brom box <laughs> as the last man. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's just, like, again, Grealish is giving it to him, so like, what a waste. Your, your best player is giving it to your worst player. And he completely freaks out. He panics. He's at the edge of the box. He's, he's 19 metres out in the centre of the goals. And he just doesn't know what to do, which wastes two seconds. He gets a caught underneath his feet, turns his body around, gets pushed to the ground, stumbles down to the turf and just looks up as West Brom comes streaming down the pitch. And only for Douglas Louise, um, Villa were saved from an equaliser. I think it was the pathetic crawling across the ground while desperately looking at the referee to get him <laughs> out of jail was the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. He's just there lying on the ground with his arms out asking the referee to do his job, which is to protect Aston Villa's lead. Yeah. That's what Matt Target is supposed to be doing, not the fucking referee. And the, the most annoying thing about that, at every level of football, if you're the last man, I know he was only 20 yards from goal, but there was so much space behind him, he was essentially the last man for Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. You don't dick around with the ball. Everything you do has to be done with confidence and assuredness. You cannot fucking fart around with a ball. if Because if, if, if you lose it, you're fucked. That's the last yeah. thing you have to do. You have to be, even if it's booting the ball out of play, you have to be so decisive with what you do, especially if you've got fucking eight men in front of you and you have loads of options. Just fucking do anything. Just don't do that. Turn around and face your own goalkeeper or you're getting pushed up the earth and falling to the ground desperately like a fucking weed. <laughs> <laughs> but like this is it like you're right if you're the last man don't dick around but also if you've been teed up 19 meters out in the center of the goals don't dick around because like obviously it's a good chance for you to either have a shot to run into the box or play somebody else in do something or like and and on top of that you know you're going to be hounded like you've just been teed up 19 meters out in the center of the goals yeah. you're not going to be able to stand there for the next 10 seconds and decide what to do, or wait for Jack Grealish to get free again. <laughs> I was I, I was going to um save this for like questions we can't answer, but like, what do you think was going through his head as he fell to the ground? Like, I'd say that he knew that wasn't the free. You know, I, I'd say like he knows that he's been weak and pushed down there, and he's just hoping for a free kick. Like that's why he's looking at the ref, but he knows it wasn't the free. It's the same. Like sometimes I say, I feel sorry for him, but part of the the reason I think Matt Target has been so bad is because he knows he's unfit. Like, you know, when you're not fit, you, you just, you're not as confident because like, you're just always waiting to be exposed. Yeah. When you're fit, you, you never have that fear. And he's just playing with fear constantly because he's not fit. Um, so what I, do you think? Like, do you think he just thought, how shit am I? <laughs> as he crumbles down. As he was crumbling to the ground, he was thinking, Liam and Conan are right. <laughs> I am useless. <laughs> And that was just it. And he was just putting his hands out. Maybe he wasn't even calling to Martin Atkinson. Maybe he was just maybe he was just putting his hands out saying, I accept it. I'm useless. Do what you may. 
<laughs> and yet again, Douglas Louise saves him after he saved him from being nutmegged in the first half. And like not even just nutmegged, just one of those ones where by the time he's looked down beneath his legs to see what's happened, like the West Brom players at the other side crossing the ball. But like, well, Douglas Louise blocks across down because he just seems to be on red alert anytime the ball's near Matt Target. <laughs> uh, last one. Uh, where is Ross Barkley? <laughs> I I was cracking up before. Like I saw, I, I got excited. Like yeah, anyway, I say like I've got I've got this sort of anxiety during Villa days. But uh, there there is a big element now where I actually just look forward to games because Jack Grealish is so good. You know, it's just it's just so enjoyable watching Jack Grealish play football. Like and and actually, like as much as I hope he'll spend his days at Aston Villa, like I, I would tune in to watch him play any for any team. Um, as long as it's not Chelsea, but he, uh, what, what, what is my point? What, what was I talking about? Wanting Ross Barkley back in the. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I looked at the team sheet then, like, I was all excited and thinking, oh yes, Ross Barkley might be back, and that yet again he's not on the bench. And I know I said when they say two or three weeks, it's usually four weeks, but I think it's over four weeks now, and just no sign of him. And games coming thick and fast. Like we, we need him back. Like we can't, we can't afford to have him out for too much longer. Yeah, but when we've got trampoline Trorori and El Ga- Goldie <laughs> doing what they're doing, Conan, do we need Ross Barkley? Ross Barkley's going to find it very hard to get back into this team. <laughs> uh, like, to be fair, Ross Barkley not being available tonight, Villa would have beaten West Brom if they played, put out their under-21s. West Brom are atrocious, and Sam Allardyce is a dinosaur. But the Ross Barkley being out actually worked quite well because we played two out-and-out wingers. So it was able, we were able... You need to hold your offensive shape against teams like this. You need to be disciplined because they're going to be really disciplined in defense. And then just being able to have your your free man in the middle so that he's not just drifting off the left wing and then you're relying on that target to get up. It, it really, really helps break down rigid back eight. So Ross Barkley being out was probably a blessing in disguise for tonight's game. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to some categories here. The Vyman meter going up. Mr. John McGinn, you had a big problem with his arse over the last couple of games. And John McGinn was fantastic against West Brom. Um, yeah, I said that I did like against Burnley. They were starting to bring back that bit of doggedness and the ignorance that, that makes him so good. And he, he, he had it the whole game and he didn't do anything stupid. He was taking on men and like just... Like using his arse in a good way, like while he's sprinting down the wing, using his arse to cut across him and get inside. And um, yeah, I just don't think he, he put a, a foot wrong. And just part of the reason the villages had non stop momentum yeah. going towards the West Brom goals. Didn't put an arse wrong all night. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he used his arse for good tonight. He used it just to shit all over that rubbish West Brom team. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think he only had one shot as well. He's normally just fed up with him shooting out and dragging it wide. He did drag this one wide as well, but it was the last kick of the game, so so that that was fine. Um, but he's looking, he's looking more potent as well, and just looking like he's solid again. When him and Louise are at their best, it's like that. That's a good midfield for Villa. Douglas Louise and John McGinn is, is a very, very good midfield for the level that Aston Villa are at and even trying to get to. Um, John, John McGinn was good tonight, but he's been really inconsistent all season, so. I still haven't given up on him either. Just saying that now so that he gets a man in the match display like Ferrari does. <laughs> uh, going up, Tyrone Mings. Um, we've 
we're obviously holding to a very high standard, so we've been a bit annoyed sometimes throughout the season at, oh, shall we say his uh, laxness or he's just over calmness. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's uh, he's a lot more alert the last few games. That's three clean sheets in a row now, actually, for Aston Villa. He's a big reason for it. He's just he's always making the right decision. He's, he's getting rid of it when he has to get rid of it. Um, yeah, he's just looking like a rock, the rock that we knew that we were signing uh, from Bournemouth because he was so good when he first came. Yeah, Terrell Mings is an absolutely supreme footballer who's got a bundle of skill and an amazing defender. He can read what forwards are trying to do. He just does make silly decisions. And just even talking about his technical ability, he just played a 40-yard, it was on the ground, but a 40-yard pass across the West Brom forward line with his right foot. You know, he's just he's just a brilliant, technically gifted uh, centre-back. But he oh. does... He wanders forward far too much. Tyrone Mings is often... And I, I like centre-halves, obviously, stepping into the play and you know taking out the centre-forwards, but even when the centre-forwards are in front of him still, he steps up about 15 yards from the rest of the line constantly. And I don't know if he's being told to do that or if he's just drifting. But he'd still be quite close to the left wing. And he got caught out this year for this. But he did it incessantly against West Brom, where he was just 15 yards inside the opposition's um, half, just standing there, still getting the ball and passing it around. But I just I just don't like that positioning, especially against a team that have nothing but no chance of scoring unless it's a counter-attack. So there is, like, we can jump into this. Um, so the next category I had, and we'll come back to Vimeometer, is the Tim Sherwood We played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. And one of the nominations was Douglas Louise telling Mings and House to come further forward. Because he did seem to sort of get annoyed at them for hanging around the halfway line when West Brom were all in their 18-yard box. And I think Douglas Louise haven't, track back on that one with Matt Target and track back a few times and probably sensed that they weren't that fast, that he really is a villain, maybe weren't susceptible to a counter-attack against this team, so let's just pen them in. And he seemed to be sort of direct. Now, you're right, like Ming's, Ming still drifted in that situation. He goes further forward again, and he, he drifts out wide, which leaves a big hole in the middle, which you never want to see. But I think it was Douglas Louise that was making that call, and I, I liked it at the time. Yeah, like you can drift in, like so. Mings has drifted into positions so that he's somebody who can receive the ball, but you can still receive the ball without exposing yourself. Yeah, like you don't need to. You don't need to drift into the centre midfield position to do that. You can just wander across the halfway line. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Villa were playing an exceptionally high line, but it's, there's no need to play a line higher than the halfway line. Yeah, like Villa's Villa's six forwards and two fullbacks will will figure this out. They'll they'll beat West Brom. So you know, turn on Mings stepping forward, particularly when it's already one nil. It's not like you're really struggling towards the end of the game. I just thought it was a bit needless, and it's just it's emblematic of the problems Tyrone Mings has had this season in an otherwise very successful season for him. Yeah, no, that's it. Like overall, he's having a good season, but it's those uh, lapses in position, and and I think I don't think anybody's telling him to do that. Like you know, in general, like because if you look at the habit he has, then it's it's coming out of his game a little bit. He's had it a lot last year, you know, where he drops 10 metres deeper yeah. than the line as well. I just think he's just a player who drifts, like, whatever. It's not ball watching, just whatever way he's looking at the game. He just he, he sort of does his own thing. And a lot of the time, that probably catches him out. Maybe he thinks that it pays off for him a lot of the time, so that's why he does it. But, yeah, it, it is. It's scary enough. It'll be more scary against Crystal Palace with Zaha. Benteke's back, Jordan Ayew, Ezzy. Yeah. You, you know, you don't want 
you don't want them switched off or drifting in any way in that game. Yeah, and remember that the Courtney House isn't Ezra Conza either. You know, yeah. Ezra Conza is absolutely rapid and a brilliant, brilliant defender. Courtney House is near to those things. So he, he can't get Jerome Ings out of jail as often as Courtney House has in the past. Or sorry, yeah. as often as um, Ezra Conza has in the past. Going up, Douglas Louise. Um, just like absence makes a heart grow fonder. Yeah. It was um, just night and day seeing him coming in for Nakamba. And uh, he just controls everything so well. Like, he controls the ball so well. He controls proceedings brilliantly. Just kept the, the flow of play. He kept it fast, kept it crisp. Knew what he was doing. He, he drops the shoulder well. He If he's under a bit of pressure, he just he, he's aggressive as well. Like He just gives boys a, a hit with his shoulder or his arse to tell him to get, get off me. Like, give me a couple of metres of space here to pass it. You know, he, he's always a like a great centre midfielder, especially an anchor. Him on. He's just aware of what's going on around him. And that's on the ball and defensively. And yeah, like I mentioned, he's, he, he saved us a couple of times against West Brom. So, like, yeah, great to have him back. And I, I guess I talk about John again, like when Louise is on it, he is like Villa on it, basically. Yeah, exactly. And people often forget about the second word and his position, defensive midfielder. Very important that your defensive midfielder can also play as a fucking midfielder and yeah. pass the ball around. And he controls the game defensively and offensively for Aston Villa. He's a brilliant footballer. The Vyman Meter, a joint nomination. Bertrand Terori and Amwar El Ghazi both going up. Um, I think you called him a hero after you called him a cunt. <laughs> In off the record WhatsApp voice messages. Um, yeah, against Wolves. But uh, like, there's a few times where I was like, you know, he was, again, he was shooting from speculative positions, but uh, he looked dangerous. He was taking men on. Yeah, when he's peacocking, he's good, especially after he scored after four minutes. Mm. Um, so his confidence isn't going to drop then. Buried the penalty, just, just saw where Johnson was going, hit it down the middle. Um, great ball from Ferrari for the goal. Nice finish from El Ghazi. And yeah, obviously a lovely goal from Ferrari as well. Like just two two good performances from two subs probably normally. Yeah, they were absolutely brilliant. Uh, Ferrari's ball for El Ghazi is incredible. Takes the goalkeeper out of the game, which is a rare yeah. thing. Um, giving him an empty net somehow from that angle. It was, it was a brilliant, brilliant pass. Uh, yeah, El Ghazi was, was class. He was on it. He was. Uh, you were a bit worried that after his peacocking didn't work out for him in the first 20 minutes in the last game, that that would, that would end him. That would be the end of the season. <laughs> but even like, you know, after he scored the goal, there was one more Grealish. He, played, he linked up really well with Grealish as well. Lovely one-twos. A couple of them didn't work out. Um, but there was one where Grealish got into the same position again after giving it to him. And El Ghazi just refused it. He uh, dragged the ball under his foot deliciously inside the box, skinned the lad, then hit a shot back across into the near post. The keeper, Sam Johnson, did well to save. But he was, he was on it, and he was really, really dangerous. That is enabled by, by West Brom as well, being a dreadful side. Um, but it's great to have him there. You know, and the penalty, yeah, just does what, does what Amar El Ghazi does when he's standing over a penalty kick on <laughs> apparently like and, and you're right like West Brom are a dreadful side and that's almost a good thing in that you still want when you're digging into your squad you want players to be able to put those dreadful sides away and yeah that's yeah. That, that's exactly yeah. what he did yeah. um, turns out all El Ghazi needed was to be dropped for 20 games to give him the kick up the arse he needed <laughs> there's still an element like you know that's a bit frustrating and that like he's trying to do the right thing sometimes but he's, on, he's undercooking a lot of passes or 
his first touch is actually good, but you know when he's then trying to just sort of lay it back for McGinn or somebody like that, he generally just sort of gets that off. It's like if he if he's trying to hit a delicate pass, he's just not as controlled of it. Um, so there's bits like that, but again, like I'm I'm comparing that to Grealish being out the left and just leaving that off for Louise or McGinn, you know, which is always you know it's always going to be perfect. But um, just a, a few elements like that that he pro- he'll probably never never tidy up in his game. He's just not going to be that integral player. Yeah, but, um, whenever you're playing a full confidence as well, though, your confidence in your teammates increases as well. So you'll play that pass quicker on the understanding that a professional footballer can control pretty much any pass you play. Yeah. <laughs> grand to zip it into them. Yeah, that's it. Um, going down my target, obviously. Um, and then anybody, I don't think anybody else is going down really. I mean, Martinez could be going up, but it's just I'm going to keep him the same because he's gone up a lot recently. Yeah. Um, I think it's just target, and that's five players going up. That's it. That's it. Fast and Villa were absolutely brilliant. All five deservedly going up, and Matt Target deservedly going down. Not, not to discount Ollie Watkins's contribution because I know I've been uh, keeping a keen eye on him, but like, that, that that header back for Truri. That was class. Just like that's exactly what we're talking about. Like he's just cushioned a, a headed ball from like a long ball in defence, and he's just sat it for Terori, who's only five meters away from him. I don't know how he gets that sort of control of his head. Um, and like yeah, he's run in the position, he's held the defender off, and he's had that control and accuracy of his head. Yeah, and like still want them to score a few more goals, but he didn't have many chances, so he could be going up. But I'm going to keep him. Level just in case he is listening. Just like I want him to know that we want <laughs> we want more from him. Uh, back to the Tim Sherwood. We played two number tens and bamboozled them awards. So you shat all over the Douglas Louise suggesting bringing forward Mings and and House and telling them Penn and West Brom. The only other thing I have, and you've mentioned it already, is Smith sticking with the same system. Two wide men, greatest in the middle, just keeps them more disciplined in their shape in attack and defence and it gives Grealish the option of just overloading whatever side he wants to overload which is generally on the left hand side and again against these teams that was important because they were just all running around after Grealish and trying to kick him so in a way like sort of freeing him up a bit more helped and like I <laughs> I was saying about taking off El Ghazi and Shiroi the last day against Burnley mm. because there's no point they're not going to score but obviously I was wrong and Smith was right yeah, they just needed a hundred minutes to score as opposed to the ninety they got against <laughs> yeah. Burnley. But like, yeah, sticking with the same system that was that was perfect from Dean Smith. And before this this run of games, you were talking about Burnley and West Brom as potential banana skins. And I was like, listen, if Villa are going to get to where we think they should be based on the personnel, based on the manager, based on the performances so far this season, then they have to be beating these two teams. And Villa will just beat those two teams most of the time. Like, there's never been a bigger one-sided nil-all draw than the Burnley mm. game and then they just did to West Brom what could very easily have happened to Burnley had El Ghazi just been a bit more on it um, like Villa are far too good for these teams and so it's, it's it was an easy task for Dean Smith it's just making sure that they're tuned in for that performance and, and that's it because um, the Burnley game was very frustrating right we talked about Jack Grealish's scream of, of disappointment afterwards but Taken in context, then with the week, three clean sheets, you know, two away wins, one against Wolves, you're you'll very easily accept that Burnley result now. Like not not in terms of like it's a good point, and not even in terms of like I would have taken seven points if you offered to me. Yeah. I would have won nine points to be honest. But 
in the context, you look at that we've won two, kept three clean sheets, and we should have won that game by a lot, and we didn't. That's fine. Let's move on. Yeah, exactly. Like Aston Villa have been brilliant in this period, and the Burnley game, as frustrating as it was, is no exception to that. They were brilliant in that game. They were just really fucking unlucky and frustrating. All right, questions we can't answer, but probably will. Did Jack really shag Martin Atkinson's missus? <laughs> Conan, people don't like Jack Grealish because he's a flash little git who can't drive. That's, that's <laughs> it. People just people don't have the same love for him. Have you seen his hair? He looks like a ponce in people's heads. That's what it is. Like he's just he's a brilliant footballer who annoys a lot of people. But then when... again, like you know, I wouldn't blame Martin Atkinson's missus. <laughs> When are uh, English football men going to grow up? You know, like, and the funny, like you know, say in Ireland, you would you would call somebody who has their socks pulled up a little like, dweeb or a ponce, whatever it was you said there. Whereas Grealish has his socks down in England, and that's that's what's known as being flashy in England. And like, <laughs> he's just a brilliant player who's like, you know, seems like a decent fella. Most people actually seem to like him, especially opposition players. You know, why is Martin Atkinson making a, de- a decision on what he thinks of him? And why is he so keen to sort of be seen to be like, I'm not taking any of this shit? Like, Grealish was kicked down twice uh, early on, and Atkinson just wasn't having any of it. And he was, just, he was actually passed the ball off, and somebody came through and kicked him in the shins. Or in the, in the calf. Couldn't remember what that body part was. Um, yeah, and, and, then, and then Glenn Hoddle is, like, piling in on it as well on co-coms. Like, and just... He's actually venturing into the Graham Sooners thing of saying he's holding on to the ball too long, and then saying it doesn't need to be going down. Just, just get up and get on with it. It's like, well, somebody's kicking him. I'm sure he wants the referee. You know, that like you know, hey, I've had the ball twice here and they've kicked me twice. Are you going to do anything about it? The, the, the only evidence we have about Jack Grealish's character on a football pitch is that he's hard as fucking nails. Yeah, the man gets kicked non-stop, and he has been for the last five years, and he just gets up. And gets himself into positions where he could possibly get his leg broken over and over again. <laughs> like Jack Grealish is tough as shit. We talked um, a couple of podcasts ago about that normalization of, of fouling him and just how how it's accepted now. Like you know, and refs aren't giving yellow card for obvious yellow cards. Not like now the fact that referees are just not even giving him free kicks for people kicking him, or like, even having a word of somebody like it's, it's fair enough if the ref wants to play on or whatever. Have a word with somebody and say, I saw you kicking him. If you do that again, I'm going to take action or take action straight away. But the fact that it's Jack Grealish and they know it's going to happen 35 more times, it's like, yeah, I'll just manage this. Like, I don't want to start giving out yellow cards too early in a cup final. <laughs> you know, yeah. we know there's going to be a lot more of this. It's yeah. it's pathetic. And like, when you have co commentators, and like, you know, this boy's England's best player. And they're all just, they're all just telling him to, to take it like a man, like nobody else has to. <laughs> What's your fucking problem? You don't like getting kicked all over the pitch. <laughs> oh Christ! Anyway, I only have one more. Um, the one, the other one was my target. I'm fed up talking about him. So, does Sammy Lee actually think Sam Allardyce is a good manager, or is is he just a good vehicle for him? <laughs> Let's be honest. If you're assistant manager to Sam Allardyce, you've got no fucking hope of getting your own job, do you? Like, <laughs> Football has left Sam Allardyce behind, and I I wouldn't be surprised if before the end of the season West Brom have also left Sam Allardyce behind. 
<laughs> you think so? I, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Like, what did West Brom do yesterday? Uh, like, absolutely nothing. Like, it reminded me of the. I, th- I think he might, he might have got one Merseyside derby when he was manager of his last his last job with Everton, and it was. Um, I think they actually got a late equaliser because of the the or not the Vakarji um Dejan Lovren. He he did some meltdown at the end, gave him a, a late equaliser, but. It was the most pathetic performance. It was almost like this, the Sean Dice thing we were talking about. Just no plan, just luck, just hope that they don't score a lot and then hope that the other team makes a mistake and he might get a free kick. Like yesterday is a good example of you're not even like doing anything to get a free kick or a corner. You know, so like you're literally just hoping for my target to fall on his arse. Like yeah. that, that's the only game plan that, that they had yesterday. I know he's only had a few games, but the saddest thing for West Brom is that. They need to know that there's nothing else coming. Like what you saw yesterday is it? Yeah. Like that—that's what you're getting. They'll—they'll they'll become a bit more disciplined and they'll be a bit more, you know, a bit easier to get into shit. And like, sure, look at West Brom have been very disciplined on their Beelich. Their last game they drew with Man City. Like if mm. Sam Allardyce couldn't get them to stick to their shape against Aston Villa, couldn't even get them to stick to staying on the fucking pitch with our captain lunging in like a scumbag. You know, I I think it's a, it's a terrible start. Granted, he's only had a couple of a couple of weeks, but I would fucking love it if he got relegated, and then people could stop talking about his achievements of never having been relegated. Yeah, yeah. talking about that as if it's an achievement and as if he achieves it in any sort of honourable way. Like Eddie Howe kept Bournemouth in the Premier League for a long time. Yeah, incredibly. Sam Allardyce has not kept anybody in the league well. No, he never has. And, like, you know, he had a lot of money at Bolton. Blackburn were a good team. Like, he took over Everton. He never got Everton relegated, fair play. Didn't even make a full season out of them. Like, yeah, I, I, that's genuinely what I hope as well, that, like, that we can finally put that, that myth to bed. And the Premier League, at least, this is, like, this is the, like, the biggest league in the world continues to hire Sam Allardyce. It's yeah. pathetic. Like, we need to be better as a people. And, um... <laughs> You know, if if he finally gets relegated and his last job was Everton, which was three two years ago, you know, then then he might just be consigned to the championship, and then he'll do nothing there, obviously, and then that that will be it. Like that that'll be the last we'll see of him, apart from talk sport. <laughs> but but I am worried. Like they're only three points like, as as badly as they're doing. They're only three points off the off seventeenth. Like Burnley are eighteenth on ten points. They've got two games in hand. Fulham have no games in hand over West Brom. They're only three points ahead of them and they're in 17th. So, like, all they have to do is come ahead of Scott Parker's Fulham or Burnley, you know, which isn't a massive task and he'll probably get some money in January. Yeah, like, you know, it could very easily keep them up because there are a lot of shit teams knocking around the Premier League this year. Um, Like, there's six that could just, if any of them got relegated, it wouldn't be a surprise. And Sam Allardyce could keep them up because there's a lot of shit teams knocking around. And he's not going to need 50 points to do it like you were suggesting last week for Aston Villa. <laughs> I saw Villa are actually doing better than the 2008 team that came sixth. So they, um, I think they got 20 points in their first 12 games. And they ended up finishing sixth under Martin O'Neill. Villa now have 22 points out of 36. So it's safe to say that it's going okay, Liam Doherty. The season is exciting. We've got Crystal Palace next, and then it starts coming thick and fast. I think it's a Saturday into a Monday into a Friday, and the Monday and Friday are Chelsea and United. 
So uh, let's just hope that the real Ole Gunnar Solskjaer shows up for that game. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, look, Conan, um, Anwar El Ghazi and Bertrand Troy are like two new signings. <laughs> this is what we've been crying out for all year. If Resigate to come back, well, like things couldn't be looking any better. Oh, fuck. I'm just thinking if they keep up these performances, Villa aren't going to buy an attacking player. It doesn't matter. If they keep up these performances, then we don't need one. But you know they won't keep it up. They keep it up for a few weeks and then January will pass and we'll be stuck with them in February. Uh, but look, this might at least focus our attention on a left back. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. The more often Matt Target can fall to the ground <laughs> yeah. himself and again the Villa are just going to win 3-0, the better between now and the January transfer window closing. Yeah, the more often he's the only weak link in the team, Yeah, yeah it'll, be, it'll be more clear. And on that note, we've managed to finish on Matt Target again. <laughs> um, yeah, get in touch with us if you want. Um, be good to hear from you at the Villa Podcast at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Give us another review. I don't know if anybody does that. I saw a few reviews actually. Somebody was saying, uh, somebody was saying that they're really enjoying the podcast. They must be from England and they think it's really funny and informed. Would love to, would love to have it translated. <laughs> So I promised him that I, I would. Uh, I'm sure he's talking about me a bit more. I, I promised him that I would enunciate a bit more, um, but I, I sort of forgot about it. So <laughs> we'll try again after the Crystal Palace match. Um, and yeah, we'll see you then. See you on what day was that? Saturday? Next Saturday? Stevens Day? Boxing Day? Whatever you're having yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, all the best and Merry Christmas. See you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.